Hello, 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 and welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Pixelated Sausage Show. I'm, of course, your host, Marcus Nez. Hi. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. But, uh, yeah, we're still working through things, getting used to this whole format and setup and the return to podcast. But I'm feeling good about this episode. I feel good in part because I have less to talk about, so my thoughts and all that jazz are going to be less spread out. Let's just get to it, though. First, I do want to say uh, nothing of important, but I want to cover what I've been watching, mainly that I decided to, in the kerfuffle of me trying to find something to watch and nothing sticking, I said to myself, you know what, why don't I give The Witcher Season 1 another go? When I attempted to rewatch it, a few months ago, I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't even get through the first episode. I have now since rewatched all of season one and almost three episodes of season two. And I can say season one, this is a pretty good time. It's a good, solid little time. Inconsistent? Yes. Is it structurally annoying? Yes. Mainly because they just don't tell you anything. If they just provided you with the information, let you know that things weren't happening at the same time so that you wouldn't, at nearest the end of the whole season, realize, wait, this this was happening way back in the past, like, dec- uh, what? What the fuck? How? Uh, why, why wasn't I made aware of this? Why wasn't I privy to this knowledge? Why are you just kind of fucking dumping this all on me? If that didn't happen, if they were just forthright with that information, it'd be fine. Because I don't think structurally it's bad. It's structurally bad because they don't fucking tell you anything. But I enjoyed the first season. Second season, I am enjoying overall. However, the second season strips out all the fun and delivers a more serious story and overall vibe, direction, etc. That's not bad, but it is a little disappointing. I'm not sure if Geralt has, even once in season two, exclaimed fuck after doing this or that or something happening, which was a very fun little thing from the first season where he'd do this one thing and then he'd just be like, oh, fuck. Or when he does the whole law of surprise thing. It's like, you know, it's fine. I don't want to deal with any of this crap. So I'm just going to take the law of surprise. I don't want a reward. I just want to get out of here. I'm not going to have to deal with anything. And then the the daughter immediately throws up. Oh, she's pregnant. It's like, oh, fuck. It's like, great. I love that. It's so much fun. It gives them a personality. But they strip that away in season two, at least so far. And that's a little disappointing. But overall, it's still decent. And that's all The Witcher ever was. The first season, uh, even with the fun stuff, it's it's just a decent, solid little thing that I think works or its strength comes from its leads. Henry Cavill is very good in it. The actress who plays Yennefer is very good in it. The one who plays Siri, she's grown from like... I think 17 years old to 20 years old from the time between season one and season two. 
I didn't think it was her. I thought it was a different actress. I had to Google and make sure. I'm like, they recast Siri? Like, why why do they do that? But it's just, it's her. And she went from looking like a kid to looking like an adult. So, I mean, that's that's what's going to happen. 17 to 20, that's kind of what do you expect. And I think maybe her eyebrows were blonde in the first season. And now they're brown, black in the second season. But it's all right. I don't know what I'm going to watch after the fact. To give you an idea of how my mind is working, I actually am considering, I'm not, I'm not actually going to do this, but part of me is thinking to myself, you know what? You know what? I kind of wouldn't be against rewatching the original series again, Star Trek, that is. I, I just, I, li- I like that crew. I like that cast. I like being around them. I wouldn't mind hanging out with them some more. Just, you know, a little bit. So maybe I watch the movies, but also maybe I just like that whole Star Trek vibe and I should jump into the next generation, which I might do because I love that as a kid growing up. It was the Star Trek series. I latched onto what got me into the series. It's the only Star Trek I watched prior to just recently watching the original series. And I've never seen it from start to finish. I only ever saw it in reruns because when it was originally airing, I was one years old. I think it started in 87. So I've never seen it from start to finish in order, etc. And that would be nice to do, probably. And then I can move on to other ones. Or I might go back to The Expanse because I didn't hate The Expanse. I just was like, you know. I could watch something else instead. But maybe it'll get better. It's supposed to get better, especially after the first season. So there are choices to be made. I also am still curious about his dark materials on HBO. So who knows who knows who knows. But that's enough about what I've been watching. Let's get on to the games that I've been playing. So Dreadout 2 is a survival horror game set in a school, school life. You play a young girl. Her name is Linda Melinda. No fucking joke. No cap in there, baby. It's it's horrible. I don't know if that's the way her name is in the original untranslated version. Because the translation and localization is not that great. This is an Indonesian game. And the voice acting is, I'm guessing, in Indonesian. And if it is, it's just made me aware that I've never heard Indonesian spoken aloud ever. Because when I was listening to it, parts of it sounded like it was in Russian. And a lot of the performances sound very machine learning-esque and not human voice work. So that wasn't super great. And then the game itself is just a piece of poo-poo. It's not particularly scary. It's ugly. It looks like an early-gen 360 game-ish. I don't know. It reminds me, in terms of its level of quality and overall vibe, of Dreamcast-era survival horror games and the kind of stuff that, back in the day... They would do on Game Informer in one of their, what were they called? What were they called? What were they called? What were 
they called? The stuff with Tim Turry, where he play through a whole game and they marathon it. The replays, not the long, they're not called long replays. What were they called? I like them so much. I've watched the one from Martian Gothic like three times. Super replays, that's it. It reminds me of the kind of stuff that they would play on that or for that. And the real problem with it, ignoring any type of localization stuff and the overall lack of quality, is that the main form of combat is your camera. And you use this to find ghosts in the environment. Some may be hostile, some may not. And you attack by either tapping the right trigger for a light attack or holding it for a heavy attack. Tapping it seemed to do nothing. Tapping also takes pictures, and it, it seemingly did no damage to any of the few enemies I encountered. And then holding it, the only way to actually do damage is to hold it when there's a lot of heavy distortion happening in the viewfinder. And if there isn't, you'll do an attack or whatever. It just won't do any damage. And it became obvious parent very quickly how finicky that system is when i got into the first boss fight where you are fighting against a student who's been possessed and she's chasing you with an axe so you have to stun her a bunch of times so that the ghost escapes her and then you try and damage the ghost but you you do the thing with her a few times before the ghost stays out of her for good it just became very random seemingly when heavy distortion would come into play and sometimes it would be there but in the time it took you to hold down the right trigger by the time you were ready to release it or by the time that heavy attack built up the distortion would leave and you would not do damage and you think like maybe all you have to do is once the distortion happens or once it's starting if you initiate the attack then you're good that's not the case and that fucking sucks and the game is in heavy, heavy, heavy need of some type of dodge mechanic. Because when I was fighting this boss ghost and it kept fucking just speeding at me, I had no way of defending myself. I couldn't even if I put my camera away and just ran freely around the environment. It still would hit me. I, I, I wasn't fast enough to just run out of the way or anything. So I think there needs to be some kind of dodge mechanic. And it's just, it's a not great game with poor mechanics, inconsistent mechanics, bad localization slash translation, a very whatever story. The best part of it when I was playing it was I came across this cat. <laughs> it's a fucking ugly ass cat. But the way its mouth worked when it meowed was just like a, a nutcracker. Literally like it's lower jaw was a completely different part like it it like you could pull it off and it just would blah 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 and you know it instead of going blah blah it went meow 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 and i think there was another human i think one of the humans had a nutcracker mouth too it's just i guess it could be amusing in that sense but the frustration i had with the combat made it so that as amusing as maybe the game could be or as fun as it might be in a B-movie, cheesy, janky type of way, 
the fact that the combat felt so inconsistent and I had to keep redoing that boss fight multiple times, I almost quit. I almost did not finish the game because I hated how the gameplay felt and the combat worked so much. If that just was a little better, then I think it would be a decent recommend for a certain type. But the fact that the combat sucks as much as it does means I, I would just pass on this for everyone. And, and the game kind of feels like the way it works is that you are going between different worlds. Um, or there are two different worlds, so it feels a bit like Fatal Frame meets Silent Hill, which could be really cool. But it just... You know, the production values and mechanics, etc. All that stuff. All the stuff that goes into making it an actual good game isn't there. Conceptually, not bad. But in execution, very bad. Then we have Severed Steel, which is a pretty cool, fast-paced, first-person shooter that is level-based, pretty bite-sized levels and you're making your way through this campaign or there are also um, challenges and you unlock additional challenges by completing the one before so you'll only have one initially and then you complete it you level up you unlock more and you unlock different modifiers like big head mode and stuff so there's that little more arcadey experience but the campaign is just constantly moving you forward in these bite-sized levels that ask you to do typically one task maybe in some cases you might have to do two tasks in a level but you're basically tasked with doing something and then once you complete that task you are told to just find the exit so you just you get to the exit and you complete the level and the way it works is very super hot it's it's very reminiscent of super hot in and how it's set up you can take four hits roughly, um, before dying. And you can replenish those health points by killing enemies and chaining attacks and stuff like that. But mechanically, what you have at your disposal is, uh, of course, guns. And in this game, you don't reload your guns. When a gun's clip is empty, the gun is useless. You can throw it at an enemy to stun them, and that's pretty much it. You need to get a new gun off an enemy, off the ground, etc. And in addition to that, you are very mobile. So there's sliding, diving, wall running, wall climbing, which is amusing because the way wall climbing works is that you just kick, you kick the fucking, first you got to jump in the air because if you just kick it, you're just going to kick the wall. But you jump at a wall and then you just start kicking it and just keep kicking it and you'll, Gradually propel yourself higher and higher and higher. And you'll eventually get a hand cannon, which allows you to make a hole in pretty much any wall. So you can create your own openings when there might be a lot of things in your way, a lot of obstacles in your way, and you don't know how to get to something, or it might be tedious to get to an area. Uh, You can just create your own walls in that uh, way. But in addition to all that, you have a slow-mo ability. And you replenish this also by killing enemies, etc. And it it feels pretty good. It feels pretty good. The one thing that I was made very aware of while playing is just the fact that it it's hard jumping between similar games when mechanically or control-wise, the control scheme 
is different enough or if a game has a lot of mechanics and is utilizing a lot of the controller i am just used to playing apex legends so in many cases i would be trying to play the game as if it control like apex legends and the control scheme i use which i use the ninja control and it it led to me dying or screwing up more than i would like but despite all that you know i, I think once you get used to the controls it'll be super super satisfying because it is really fun the gameplay loop is great i think some of the level design is a little iffy and yes you have all these mechanics at your disposable disposable at your disposal which allows you to create your own way around it so if a level design is not that great you can still like wall climb to get to a place that might be annoying to get to normally or just use your hand cannon to create a hole in a in a wall so that you can just get to an area very quickly as opposed to taking the long way the annoying way and yeah i'm pretty sure doing headshots gives you a little bonus and chaining those together feels pretty good visually i wish it was a bit more distinct i wish it had a bit more character style in that sense because like comparing it back to super hot super hot has a very distinct look and that really makes it stand out it gives it a very cool personality and severed steel looks it, it looks good but i wish it just had a bit more style a bit more of its own identity which i think it is lacking but it's it's fun the the campaign will probably take you you know depending on how many retries you have to do what difficulty you're playing on i was playing on the normal the the middle difficulty and it'll probably take you anywhere between two and four hours and, you know, it depends on if it's your first playthrough as well. I'm sure you'd be able to get through it a lot faster. I think there are speed running like settings or whatever you can set up. And I also really appreciated the number of options in the game that aren't exactly accessibility related. But the fact that you can have it set up that whenever you do a stunt maneuver, so you do a dive, you do a slide, a wall run, etc., it'll automatically initiate slow-mo as opposed to you having to press the left trigger to do that. And I experimented with a bunch of different things like that one. And I, I did kind of like that one, but there's no way to cancel out of the slow-mo that I could tell. So there would be instances where I, I really like being able to just have it set up that I don't have to press the slow-mo button when I do a dive or a slide. But when I initiate the stunt and it goes into slow-mo and then I kill all the enemies in a particular area it still stays in slow-mo and that doesn't feel good when you're still just moving so slowly but you've taken everyone out and you're just like okay I god fucking just stand up already so I can move fast and get to the next area where enemies will be and I could fucking kill them and if you can cancel out of it I'd probably use that and maybe you can but it it didn't seem to work for me but i do appreciate that there are so many options i'm not gonna go through all of them but if you go into the settings there will be so many different things you can customize the cursor in many ways and 
It's just a really well put together, fast paced first person shooter. And I liked it quite a bit. Good on you, Severed Steel. And Gig Apocalypse is a game that fucking sure feels like a mobile game in that all you're doing is controlling, not really controlling, you're, you're taking care of a kaiju. This game is inspired by classic kaiju movies and the game Rampage, the series Rampage. It says that in the description. And the way it works is that you have this little kaiju because you are sent back in time by some scientists from the future, whatever. And now you have to re-raise the kaiju into the powerful beast it once was. So you'll be gradually leveling it up, increasing its abilities, its skills, gaining new skills. And you do this, you, you gain the currency to level up your kaiju by destroying cities. And you just do this rinse and repeat. There's a bit of a Tamagotchi thing going on. You feed the, the little baby kaiju. You clean up its poop. You pet it. And it seems like, you know, oh, this would be good on a phone. Because there's not much there. When you go into the cities to destroy them, all you're doing is fucking tap, 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 tapping the A button and occasionally moving your cursor down to one of the various skills you have and using them until they cool down. They use different, not currencies, or you just call them currencies because it depends on the monster. I was playing as... Congo, who was really into gold, so his currency for abilities, for attacks, for skills was gold. But that's not going to be the case for every of the, every single one of the kaiju, every single one of the monsters, because they're not all going to give a shit about gold like Congo does. But it's just an immediately tedious and repetitive game that isn't bad by design. It's just not. It's not the type of game that you really want to play on your big screen TV. It would be best suited for something like the Switch in portable mode, in handheld mode, or on a mobile platform. But to sit down and decide to play something on your big screen TV for a few hours or longer or whatever, it's not it's not made for that. And that's really its 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 problem is just that it's 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 a little screen game and not a big screen game. And I was playing it on a big screen. Relatively speaking, I'm playing it on my big screen. But um, yeah, it's it's okay. It's okay. It's just, you know, it's a mobile game, not a home game. That's it. That's, that's, that's all that needs to be said about it. And South of the Circle is a game that just plays itself. It's got a beautiful aesthetic. I love the art so, 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 so much. And I really like the animation. I like a lot about it. The voice acting is fantastic. The writing overall is pretty dang good. The problem with the game is that you literally don't have to do anything most of the time. And ultimately, in the end, the story doesn't fucking matter or what you do. The choices that you make, none of it matters. And so with a game where your choices don't matter for 90 
plus percent of it, you don't actually have to be touching the controller other than to make sure it doesn't go to sleep because that'll pause the game. I just, I, I beat it and I was like, what the fuck was the point of it? The whole story is you are this Cambridge professor and you're off to Antarctica on an expedition or whatever with a fellow colleague. Your plane crashes and in the searching for help, trying to find some means of being rescued, you're recalling upon your past with a fellow colleague, a fellow lecturer who you fell in love with, etc. And you're remembering various parts of your life and the journey you had there and how you got here, um, where you are currently in the present. And the way it splices in those moments and transitions between the present and the past is very well done. So much of it is well done. It's just there's no part of the whole game of the experience that justifies it being a video game. This could be a movie, a TV show, a book, a comic, graphic novel, etc. It could be anything else. And it would still be as impactful as it is in video game form. Your actions, when you are asked to act, are insignificant. When you're asked to make choices, it doesn't matter. When you are asked to make choices, you can't choose no choice. No choice is not a viable option. Because the way the main gameplay works, so the majority of it, you know, it's a lot of spoken dialogue and just story it's a narrative adventure game a yeah, third person and the main bits of gameplay that you control are event you know uh, occasionally a choice will come up on screen and sometimes it'll just be one icon and in those cases even if you don't press it it's going to automatically pick that for you in the cases where there are two three choices the game will automatically pick for you if you don't pick one of them. And the way the choices work are based off of shapes and colors. And they are tied to various emotional states. So red is panic. Purple is like sadness or something along those lines. The blue is caring. Yellow is enthusiastic or just enthusiasm. And then the like blue box is confidence assertiveness and so you'll just be gearing the direction of the dialogue in one of those emotional states when you were given the options but ultimately none of it matters and then in addition to that bit of gameplay your other act means of playing the game are walking from point a to point b with the occasional ability to interact with an object or two but really 90 percent of the time you don't have to have your hands on the controller the character will move for you the choices will be made for you and you may be like oh well i want to make those choices i mean you can doesn't really matter and so as well made as the game is in so many respects it's just as far from an engaging experience as I've had with a game in a very long time. Like I, I, at one point when I stream in it near the end of my stream, I just put the controller down. I, I was hungry. I wanted to make something to eat. 
So I put the controller down. I went off for like 15 minutes, prepared my food, started cooking it, came back. The game had not lost any progress. It didn't stop. I didn't hit a point where I had actually control anything. So for those 15 minutes, it was just playing itself. And when I realized that, I said to myself, okay, this game really is just like, one, the story ultimately doesn't really fucking matter. And then two, my participation with it in it doesn't really matter either. And realizing that I was just like, okay, there's, I just don't, I don't see the point in it. At least in a, uh, in a video game form as a video game, it's just, there's no justification as to why you should be playing this as opposed to just reading it or watching it. And ultimately that's all you'll be doing is watching it when you're playing it because you don't have to fucking play it most of the time. So a bit of a disappointment there, uh, south of the circle. Then the last game is Noel the Mortal Fate, which is a game made in RPG Maker. And it's a, it's a weird game. You play this entitled, spoiled, rich little prissy piece of crap girl who is a great pianist from a couple of parents who are renowned pianists. That is pianist, not penises, you sick sons of penises. But uh, you fully expect to win this contest, this competition, uh, to see who will be the special piano player for the like the, uh, an event coming up. You lose, and you find out after the fact that the reason why you lost is because this organization played a part in it and they helped guide the voting towards this other girl, Jillian, I believe her name was, who is your best friend, your only real friend, you being Noel, etiquette, Noel Corquette or something, whatever, who cares? And the mayor tells you to meet him at an abandoned building in the middle of the night to get that spot that you lost that you so surely deserved over Jillian. So you go there and he says, I mean, he's not there. His, his secretary is there. Who's a fucking, she's a piece of work. And he says, okay, it's this, it's this company. I keep wanting to call them severed steel, but that's not their name. <laughs> um, but if you want to get that, position that you lost out on then we're going to have to kill this the president of this organization and in order to do so you're going to have to make a deal with this devil because there's devils in this world they're known and interacting with them whatever is illegal but you know if no one knows you're doing it who's going to stop you who's going to do anything about it and I mean if the mayor's in on it then it's all good so the secretary basically tricks you into making this pact with the devil to kill the president of this organization. And what they don't tell you is that every deal with the devil, with a devil, it's not the devil because there are multiple devils, but every deal with a devil, when they grant a wish, comes at a cost. And the cost of this deal you made was your limbs. So upon killing the president, the devil then chops off your arms and legs. And then you're just this little sprites in the world with your limbs uh 
all cut off, which is a little amusing to see. But then the, the secretary, uh, realizing you're still alive, is like, oh shit, oh, I thought I thought you'd be dead already. And she just like picks you up by your hair and then fucking throws you in the sea. I'm like, man, she is a cold-hearted piece of work. My golly gee. Then you wake up in this dirt home and you have some prosthetic legs. And then you find out that Mr. Devil saved you and he wants to get back at old mayor and secretary psychopath because they've been abusing the system, using other people to make wishes for them so that they don't have to pay the cost. And he wants to right this wrong in the system because it's not right to be fucking abusing the system like that and using others because they didn't even tell Noel that that would happen, that there was a cost. And then it's just like, there's, I mean, it's very story driven. You do a lot of reading with occasional bits of gameplay, a lot of which is just looking in an environment or interacting with people and reading information, getting a little bits of story tidbits here and there. And then there was some stealth gameplay, some little puzzles, sliding puzzles and stuff like that. It's just, it's a really weird game. I was not jiving with the story at all. I found it incredibly stupid. It also has, because it's a foreign made game, there are some issues with the translation and localization, not as much as in Dreadout 2, but there's still some there. And I don't know if some of the dumbness in the story, I don't think so, but uh, maybe some of the dumbness in the story is related to that. But I just, I thought it was so stupid. And I just, I couldn't care about what was happening. So it was hard to really be driven to keep playing. And what gameplay was there was not that engaging either. I mean, one of the biggest problems really is that the main character, Noelle, you know, I'm sure she gets redeemed over time. She learns the error of her ways, but she really is a selfish piece of shit. And, and you realize this immediately when she screams at her best friend for winning the competition that she feels like she deserved to win. Like instead of being happy for her friend, she immediately just like fucking shits all over. And I'm like, this is who I am. This, this fucking horrible human being. I don't want to be her. Let her die. When the limbs all came off, I laughed because fucking fuck her. Fuck Noel, man. But yeah, it's 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 just so it's a weird game. It's a weird, weird game. So uh yeah, that is uh again Noel, the mortal fate. And uh that's it for what I've been playing. So let us get on to patron questions and then call it a show. So First up, from Living Large, what is the earliest video game memory you have when you first encountered video games? The, the first video game memory I have, the strongest one, the one that I always think back on, even though I know I played games prior to this and, and whatnot, is playing through Contra with my brother on the NES. You know, we didn't put the Konami code, which for so long I thought was referred to as the Contra code because that's the only game we ever used it with. But I 
loved playing Contra with my brother. We played through it a whole bunch of times together, and it was just so much fun. And it, it was probably the first time I realized how fun, I don't know if it's the first time I realized how fun games could be, or maybe how fun games could be with people you like. And in that way, it's very bittersweet given the the fact that I have no relationship with my brother anymore and stuff I don't need to get into. But those who know me have, have, have the knowledge or they, they know about that whole situation, which is just, you know, it's a bit sad. But that is my strongest first memory with video games and part of why I fell in love with video games is because of how much I love playing Contra with my brother uh, and just playing video games with him in general. So yeah, it would be Contra, which I fucking, I love that game. I love that game so much. I love the Contra series. I wish we get some more. I really would love it if Konami would release another collection, even if it's just a two-game collection of Shattered Soldier and I think, it, what is it, Neo Contra, the two PlayStation 2 ones. Because Shadow Soldier is probably my favorite Contra game. Then uh, from G... Why am I doing that? I just say Jedi. I don't need to put the fucking GSR Jedi. But from Jedi, what reality-based TV show, part or present, would you like to go on? And then in parentheses, reality-based means like reality show or game show. Okay, Jedi, one, don't fucking explain to me what you meant. I'm not a fucking idiot. Jesus Christ, dude. How dare you? You must think so little of me to have to add that explanation. Of course that's what you meant, obviously. My God, I'm so I'm so offended that you thought I was so stupid. Um, but I've actually thought about this many times over the course of my life uh, as to what show I think I would work well on as a disruptor because I'm so not reality show material. But the ones I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna include two because they're kind of exactly the same thing. But the, the the shows that I think I would work well on is Big Brother and then in the same vein, uh, the real world. And why I think I would be decent on those shows is because I have absolutely no interest in drama the asexual thing could come into play in the fact that there's always sex happening on those fucking dumbass shows i have no interest in teaming up with people and i would just in so many cases where people are like hey you, you gotta pick a side like oh this thing happened like who who's in the right i'd be like i don't fucking care you're all a bunch of fucking idiots shut the fuck up and leave me the fuck alone I would be so combative with everyone else on there because I think they're all fucking idiots. And I'd immediately get kicked off. That, that, that's the ultimate problem with these types of shows that I would I would be the first to go. The only way I would ever survive on a reality show is if, for whatever reason, the audience latched on to me and decided they liked having my combative, contrarian ways on there as just a different voice etc but i think i think it, I, I there could be amusement in me being on a show like that i don't know if i'd actually enjoy it i'd probably fucking hate the living shit out of it i'm just saying in terms of like i think that might make for the best entertainment uh in actuality what i think would be the most fun to do 
if I had a good partner, would be the amazing race. Cause I mean, you just fucking going around the world, hopefully with somebody you like and, and working well together. You know, that, that I, I, why wouldn't that be fun? Then Enchi asks, what's your favorite Bluey episode? And I'm going to have to disappoint Enchi. I don't know. I don't know because I've only watched Bluey one time and I don't remember episodes like that. I don't have a kid that is asking me to watch it over and over and over again. So I don't have things ingrained in me, but I will say that my favorite episode is asparagus. And I'm going to say that because that is the only one I know the title of by heart or whatever. Like I, for whatever reason, when I watched that, I must have looked it up because I remember there's an asparagus episode. I don't know if it's actually good. I don't know what it's about. I can't remember any of that. But I remember that there's an episode called Asparagus. And maybe it had like um, something to do with like magic asparagus or something. Or like using it as a wand or some shit. Potentially. But I'm going to say that one. Also, I finished season three. What we got so far. Uh, 25 episodes. Very, very good. Bluey's wonderful. I love it so much. And... My favorite episode of season three is probably episode three or four promises. And why I like it is for one specific moment, because it so greatly encapsulates what's so great about Bluey and how it's able to capture that childlike mindset and nature uh, in its writing in a way that you look at and you think to yourself, I mean, it's so simple. It's so obvious yet. You know, it's not easy, but that's the magic about Bluey is that it just, it makes everything seem so easy in its creation and its quality and everything. But when the dad says, okay, no more promises. And then I believe it's Bingo who says, but you promised you'd always love us. And then the dad immediately responds, oh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't think this through. That is just such a classic, obvious, very true-to-life way a kid's mind would work when you say something. I, I just fucking love Bluey, man. Bluey is so good. I need to rewatch because when I started watching season three, I completely forgot how short the episodes were. I thought they were more like the 11, 12 episode or 12-minute range, and they're not. They're like five minutes when you get rid of the end credits and the opening intro. So it's just like, you know what? I should just be, instead of having random fucking Twitch streams on or this or that, I should just put uh, Bluey on repeat for myself. And then I will be able to tell you what my favorite episode is because I'm going to watch them a thousand freaking times. There's so many skip frames due to encoding lag in this fucking thing. Every freaking time. It's never going to, like, ever put the fucking webcam shit. I don't know what the hell this is. Stupid shit. Um, then the last... Oh, no, we got two more, two more, two more, two more, two more questions. From Sussy Mr. Black. Sussy Mr. Black. Oh, you're so sussy. Um, but really sunny. How often do you dream? My answer to this is never. I never dream. And you might be saying, you dream, you just don't remember your dreams. Fuck you and fuck everyone who says that. Fuck that shit. I don't, I don't buy that. I don't care. You don't call it dreaming. You can say... You know, when you are sleeping and you're in REM sleep or whatever sleep where dreams are happening, that there are certain things going off in your head. And during that time is when 
you are able to conjure images that you are able to recall upon and remember when you wake up. If you do, you can call the images that you remember dreams. If you remember them, if you don't, there no dreams happen. You're, there were just things going off in your fucking head. Call them something else. Call them Sparky Synapsis. I don't, I don't fucking care. I'm not saying, oh, I'm, I dream every night. I just don't remember them. This isn't a fucking tree falling in the woods if you're not there. Okay? It's not. So the answer is never. Last dream I remember, you know when it was? I don't, I don't fucking know. I'm asking you because I don't remember. I never dream. And it's not just because I sleep weird, living large. I can still dream. And even when I would dream, it would just be like, oh. My dream would be, I woke up, I had breakfast, I went to school, and then I wake up and I have to do it all over again because it was all a fucking dream. What a fucking piece of shit that is. And then the last question is from Lunchbox. What skill do you wish you had but have no talent for now? I love to play guitar. I've always wanted to play guitar. But I think this counts as a skill. And it's something that I keep dragging my feet in the mud. I bought a book. I bought a few apps. I'm just waiting so that I, I'm basically waiting until I'm in a place where I'm not fucking balancing other shit and I can really focus and give it the attention it deserves because it's going to require attention if I want to actually make progress in doing it. But I would really, really, really love to learn Japanese so that I can watch anime in its native language without subtitles. I could watch stuff that isn't subtitled. I could read manga so that when I hopefully am able to take a trip to Japan, I'm able to interact in a way that's not just like, oh, fucking make, make language for me. I'm only, I'm like... This isn't just a, a Japan thing. Like, if I was going to a foreign country, I would want to at least have some uh, ability with their language, so that I'm not just expecting them to be doing all the hard work, and I'm just like fucking, hey, I'm American, and I can fucking like, you got to make shit for me. Like, nah, I'm not that fucking. No, that's fucking terrible. But yeah, I'd love to actually learn Japanese. Yeah, that uh, will do it for this here episode of the Pixelated Sausage Show. Once again, I am Marcus Ness. I hope the lighting was uh, to your liking because uh, I got a little fancy light here to, to make it so that it's a more clearer picture, more well lit and all that jazz. So hopefully, hopefully it was good. It's good. But uh, that will do it again for this here episode. Uh of course, you can find me pretty much everywhere at PX Sausage, and all my links of import are over at pixelatedsausage.com slash PXS. You can, if you are watching the video version of this, of course, do like, subscribe, hit the bell, and all that jazz for notifications. YouTube is where I stream as well. You can find the stream archives in a little playlist if you miss them, and you can see me playing the games that I talk about here, etc. So that's a good resource for getting a more expanded idea of what I think about this game or that game, as well as the more edited videos like Attack the Backlog, Second Runs, etc. And if you 
do like any of the things I do and what have you, you can go over to patreon.com slash pxs to support me and my nonsense there. So uh, that is it. That is all. As always, I hope you enjoyed this here episode, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your See, I still don't fucking remember how I end this shit anymore, because that did not feel right. But whatever, we're just going to fucking live with it for now, because I don't want to think about it and just go on and on and on. So that is it. That is all. As always, I hope you enjoyed this here episode, and I hope you have a wonderful wonderful rest i hope you have a wonderful wonderful rest of your day bye 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 bye